Hello and welcome to the Horror Court Trash Over podcast, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And this week we have a good film. Yes. Woo! <laughs> so, doesn't come around too often, but you know, it's always, it's always good to discuss good stuff. Um, well, I mean, I was saying that our last episode was Nosferatu, so I can't complain too much. Our last episode was Barbed Wire, wasn't it? Did we release Nosferatu yeah. and Barbed Wire in the same? Oh no, Barbed Wire was the last one. Yeah. yeah. Bar yeah, Bar apparently Bar. so. And by the way, thank you for uh, the support with Barbed Wire. It's been our Everyone's most popular, Wire. most popular episode. Yeah, people love that shit. I mean, yeah, I think the hashtag Pamela Anderson thing on Instagram works very well. I mean, that's the most amount of likes we've ever received. So, uh, thanks. Another bit of Pammy. Um, this is actually another popular film. So this was uh, we did a poll for uh, Women in Horror Month, and this received very, very close amount of votes to the actual winner, which was the uh, Evil Dead sequel reboot. Um, so yeah, so we thought it was only right we covered this film. You've been dying to talk about this. I have. You? I mean, do you know what? this is a film that's been covered by other you know LGBT podcasts as well, and understandably so. It's a massive, massive film in the LGBT community. This is Jennifer's Body. Uh, released in 2009, directed by Karen Kusama. She also directed Destroyer, The Invitation, and Aeon Flux. I've not, I think I may have seen Aeon Flux years ago. I don't think it's the very one memorable. Yeah. Um, is that Zeon, Zeon Flux? Zeon Flux? I don't know I don't how you know pronounce, how pronounce it. Answer. But um, <laughs> The Invitation and Destroyer are meant to be very good. Destroyer's one with Nicole Kidman. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was made on a $16 million budget. It bombed on its opening weekend, uh, but eventually it made its money back. Um, so, I mean, for starters, this film's been a, a big part of me for since it was first released. I watched it when it was first released. I was, uh, you didn't watch it until recently, did you? No, no. So, I'm a good example of uh, the, mark- the misinformed marketing of this film. So... I watched this when I was in the closet to, like, you know, oh, I'm watching a film with Megan Fox and getting her tits out, ooh, you know, that sort of closet behaviour. Yeah. Um, but then when I watched it... I was I, say, how wrong were you? When, when I watched it, I was... It, it, <laughs> it worked the complete opposite because I was... I, I know it's a massive cliche, but it's a film I really you know, related with, uh, and the fact that it, with its LGBT representation, how it has, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people with the marketing for this film, they're looking at it, think it's all sexualized and it's just two girls kissing for the point of that sexualization. But in reality, you can see the, the tension between Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox build up throughout the film. And when they do kiss, it's not a moment that's sexualized for straight males. It's a moment of genuine LGBT representation. And I think the whole thing about, you know, the thing inside Megan Fox's character within this film, you know, it, it's it been interpreted as, you know, her hiding her sexuality. And so and it's, you know, there's been so many interpretations of this film and each of them are valid. You know, it it was made for an LGBT audience. Now, obviously, when it was first released, this is coming off the back of Transformers, uh, where... Megan Fox became a sex symbol. Yeah. Uh, n- you know, no thanks to Michael Bay. But, you know, I mean, obviously Megan Fox is a very beautiful woman. You, every, she is a sex symbol. There's there's no way around that. You know, that's, that is, you know, valid. But, obviously Michael Bay, 
isn't the best of directors to work with. And I believe she actually stopped working with him after two films because of the way he was treating her and everything. And I think this was kind of a new break for her, this film. And unfortunately for her, the whole Transformers thing was still around. And that's what people expected from her. So yeah. the way they marketed this film, they sold it on how sexy Megan Fox is. Yeah, yeah, it's essentially. I think the marketing of this film was a big point um, because the screenwriter, Diablo Cody, mm. uh, she was just off the back of Juno. Juno, yeah. She just won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. She's a really hot writer. Um, and this was sort of given to her. And then they even said this film would have been a really hard sell mm. if it wasn't for Diablo Cody's name. Yeah. It probably wouldn't have been made. Yeah. Um, so they, they made it and the marketing department essentially said, well, Megan Fox is hot. It's called Jennifer's Body. We're going to give you this poster. And uh, it's her, if I remember correctly, she's at a desk. There's a few. There's a few. There's her the at a one, desk with a short skirt on. Short skirt on. Cleavage um, out. Um, essentially saying that Jennifer just wants your boyfriend. Yes. The the tagline on the Blu-ray cover is, she's got a taste for bad boys. That makes no fucking sense because no sense. all the guys she attacks in this film are actually nice guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's the whole thing, um, like... I think it was something like She's Hot was written on the chalkboard in the background on one of the posters or something like that. And it's just like, really, it's it's so unnecessary. Because, you know, Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody made this film as an LGBT film and essentially a horror version of Mean Girls. That's what they wanted to make. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've listened to loads of interviews with them and stuff and that is very much the road they were trying to go down. This is incredibly ahead of its time. If this film was released now... I think it would have done so much better than it did back then. Yes. Because yes, nowadays, absolutely. this is what people want. This is why it's got its massive court following now. This is how it's reached an audience like us. Because, I mean, I, like I said, I felt it was so out of place when I watched it back in 2009. It was nothing like I was expecting. You know, there was people around the world watching this because they wanted to see Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried kissing. And, you know, because of all the sexualized marketing... And then there's me watching it, like, just enjoying it for how camp it is. And, you know... Yeah, I'm not sure if these days they would have gotten away with that marketing. No, they wouldn't have. You don't they wouldn't see have. marketing like that now. And it's very much a sign of the times with the film industry. Especially and it, after the whole Me Too movement. Oh, yeah. And I think, again, what's also ahead of its time within this film is the whole sacrifice of Jennifer's character, where, you know, these characters, they're sacrificing this beautiful woman and, you know, this this innocent, beautiful girl for fame and everything. I think that kind of says a lot about Absolutely. the whole Weinstein thing. And Absolutely. It resonates in a, a it, different it really does. way now um, after all this has come out. I, I don't know if uh, Diablo Cody, when writing the screenplay, had that in mind. It, it, it's completely understandable if she did. I seem to remember her saying she did. Because this, be this shit's been going on for... Yeah. Uh, yeah, decades and decades. You know, this isn't new. Mm. It's just now these women have a voice and they've yeah. been able to tell their stories. But back in two thousand and nine, that shit was still going on. Yeah, uh, it, it, it just it makes it makes that scene a really out of place and hard to watch scene when when you think about the meaning behind it 
And Megan Fox's acting in that scene in particular, she really, really puts in a good performance. And it's placed smack bang in the middle of the film. And it's surrounded by all this camp humour and, you know, everything else. And it, I think, it, isn't it, it does have an impact. It really does. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, the title, Jennifer's Body... Yeah. I think is a great title mm. in the sense of what the ladies who made the film wanted it to mean. Yeah, yeah. and they did take it from the whole song, but absolutely it does. Yeah, um, but the whole sense is that her body has been sacrificed yeah. for the gain of men. Yeah. Which makes the marketing so ironic mm. because they are using Megan Fox's body yeah. for their own gains. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. And, and, and that's led to it being... You know, the whole marketing of it has led to it being ridiculously underappreciated because it's got a 5.2 on IMDb, which is a fucking joke. That's very low. It is That's an very absolute low. joke. I'd go as far as saying this is the most underrated film of the 2000s. Okay. Because you, you look at the 2000s, it's a fucking rough time for films. A rough time for horror films. A, well. Yeah, a, specifically horror films. It's a very rough time for horror films. And it was when you get towards the end of the 2000s, when you start seeing stuff like this. Um, I mean, this is, obviously, this is released smack bang in the middle of your torture porn, yeah. your saw and hostel and everything. And then it's also the same year that Paranormal Activity came out. So it's right in the middle of your two horror phases. And this matches with neither of those things. No. And that's why it stands on its own and why it, you know, stands out so much. Because it's something different. Yeah. It, it is Mean Girls with, with horror. It, it's a horror film for women. Yeah. For women and gays. That's that's what it is. Yeah. The, well, this film is yeah. an LGBT and female film. I, I, would, I would say that it's probably, it was made for women. Yeah. And, you know, feminist women, really. Yeah. It's a feminist film. Yeah. If you, you look into it. Um, and that's probably why it bombed because mm. no no woman wanted to go watch it because that's they didn't think that's what they were getting. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously Absolutely. over the years more women have watched it and yeah. realised oh shit this was for me. Yeah. When they didn't know at the time and then everyone who was every you know young male that thought the film was for them. Yeah didn't understand didn't know what was going on and that's the thing and this was released at a time when women needed a film like this yeah because you look around there was no no film like this that was so female focused within the horror genre no around that time so it's a film that was needed back then but obviously missed because of the marketing and then i wouldn't even say that the film's about megan i know it's called jennifer's body Mm. but i when i watched it jennifer wasn't for me, the main point. No. It was Anita. It ne- was Anita. What's her name? Needy. Yeah, but her name's Anita. Is it? Oh. The nickname was Needy. Okay. Um, because when they originally wrote the screenplay, she was going to be a needy character. Mm. Yeah. And then they decided not to, but they, they kept the, the, the uh, nickname in the film. But her name is Anita. Okay. Um, so for me, it's Anita's story. Yeah. And how she deals with the consequences of what's happened to Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it focuses on... She's the one with the relationship. It focuses on her love life, her time in school, her relationship with Jennifer. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's very much her film. Yeah. Um, but you wouldn't, see, you wouldn't see her in any of the advertising because it was all Megan Fox. Exactly, exactly. You know, with a short skirt. Yeah. So, um, 
going on to the trivia, to prepare for her role in the film, uh, Megan Fox actually lost £15 and stayed out of the sun so she could be a more believable, possessed, living dead teenager. And that brought her to apparently a near frail £97. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, there was more sexual more tension uh, between Jennifer and Needy in the original script, and there was even um, quite a lengthy sex scene between them as well. Okay. But, um, yeah, that just didn't make it to the film. Not sure if the film needed that. No, no. I think the, the tension between them and that scene is enough to make it clear that, that's, that they're bisexual. I think, you know, that being in there is just enough. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got that Jennifer swung both ways yeah. so that she could get what she wanted. Yeah. And if she wanted to eat Anita at, at any point, mm. she could. Yeah. And she would seduce Anita to get what she wanted. Yeah, whereas I think Needy actually saw something between them. I, I, think, th- I, I think maybe. You can very much tell yeah. that towards the start of the film. Yeah. Um, back to the, the marketing side of things. Um, Karen Kusama has said that uh, 20th Century Fox wanted uh, Megan Fox to do live chats on amateur porn sites to promote the film and she was absolutely furious with that suggestion and uh, told them that they're misunderstanding the point of the film um, and she practically begged them not to mention it to Megan Fox and she never told her herself because she thought she would become dispirited with the film and it would crush her. Um, yeah, I mean, you lose weight to get to £97 mm. so you can take this film very seriously. Yeah. And, you know, poor Megan Fox, I mean, she, she's someone who's very much suffered because she's so drop-dead gorgeous. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, we, we were talking about Pamela Anderson mm. in our last episode. Yeah. There's, there's somebody whose whole career is based around sex appeal. Yeah. You know, and not being taken seriously. Now, I don't know if... If you agree to a film like Barb Wire, I'm not sure if you're taking your career that seriously. That's the thing. I mean, you look at the comparison between Pamela Anderson and Megan Fox. You've got Pamela Anderson and she thrives off it. That's yeah. her career. Yeah. I don't think Megan props Fox wants... Want... And props to her. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. If, if you know... Absolutely. You know, she's a drop-dead gorgeous woman. If that's how she wants her career to go... Yeah. Um, but you can sense that Megan Fox thought this was her chance to... Yeah. ...star in a good film... Mm. Um, a well-received film and to really play a character, a, a more well-rounded character. Yeah. And unfortunately, that didn't really turn out for her and I'm not sure what she's doing now. Well, I, I, I don't think she's been in a film for years now. I think the last time I saw her in was This Is 40 and that was a Judd Apatow comedy, so I think she was a little... Maybe. No, I don't know if she was sexualised in that. I think she meant to be a sexy character. Yeah. But I don't know if that was the point. She was a side character. So, yeah. You know. Um, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried have actually said this is their favourite film in their filmographies. Mm. Uh, and despite mixed critical reception, it, it, as I've mentioned, it has gained a strong, very strong cult following over the years. And it's so musical. Well, like off-Broadway. Uh, unofficial. Unofficial. Unofficial musical. There we go. Um, obviously the title's taken from a whole song. Uh, back to uh, Megan Fox and the whole sexuality thing. Uh, one of the scenes that's most popular in the film is where she goes swimming and people think she's naked. Well, actually she was just wearing a flesh-coloured bikini. You couldn't really tell, actually, no, to be fair. No, you couldn't, no. No, no I, d- I didn't think you could tell. Blake Lively was originally um, 
cast for Jennifer, but she turned down the role. She wanted to go and work on Gossip Girl instead. Emma Stone was considered for Needy. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. As well, I think. Um, the director's cut of the film was removed from Australian stores and supermarkets because of graphic sex and violence. Really? It's not that bad. <laughs> it's a little, little extreme. Um, Pete Wentz and Joel Madden were already originally considered for Adam Brody's role. <laughs> yeah, well, you can see that. Yeah, yeah, he looks that. like Pete Wentz. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely that um, indie rock look. Yeah, I mean, like every everyone's sort of in their own little cliche in this film. Yeah, definitely. and it's used for comic effects. Yeah, um, and speaking of the band in the film, uh, Low Shoulder, they're actually a band called Wildlin, and uh, the, the music you hear is performed by Ryan Levine and that band, so it's not actually Adam Brody singing. Are the members of the band in the film? No. The members no, of the band. They're, they're, all they're all actors. They're all actors. So, and also, Hershey's chocolate syrup was used for Jennifer's black vomit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I thought it was, that was all CGI, but apparently not. Um, and finally, my last bit of trivia is, the screenplay was featured in 2007's list of most liked unmade scripts of that year. Yeah, because Diablo Cody wrote it around yeah. the same time as Juno. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Juno was obviously the one that got made first. Uh, I'm not sure what she's doing now. She's still writing stuff. Is she? Yeah, yeah. I think she did some for a TV series recently. Okay. Yeah, I think she did actually. She may have even done uh, that series that we watched an episode of at Fright Fest, which I can't remember the name of. Oh, the one with the. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, she wrote Young Adult. Uh, Tully. Yeah, she did do Tully. Charlie yeah. Theron films. That was that was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, so she's still working. I'm not sure if. Oh, she did um, United States of Tara, the Tony Collette. Mm, yeah. Uh, TV show that was well received, but yeah, I think I think maybe um, her career didn't sort of take off as it probably should have. No, and I think it's a shame that her and uh, Karen Kusama didn't do more stuff together. Because it kind of... The, the writing and directing of this film kind of reminds me of uh, Wes Craven and... Is it Kevin Williams? Yeah, yeah. Kevin Williamson. Kevin Williamson. It, it kind of reminds me of that pair up. There's the same sort of feeling to this as there is to Scream. If okay. you get what I mean. Yeah. That's my pen on the floor. Yeah. That sort of camp I, I think, horror comedy. Yeah, I think uh, the great Hollywood stories are that they, they love to see you succeed, but not as much as they love to see you fall mm. afterwards. And I think I think a big talking point was what's she going to do after Juno? What's she going to do after Juno? She just won the Academy Award. You know, this, this woman who doesn't look like your normal screenwriter doesn't write like a normal screenwriter. Mm. You know, um, you're familiar with Juno, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I've seen yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she's writing these very sort of modern tales for, for women. And what's she going to do? Oh, Jennifer's body. Mm. It, did, it didn't make it at the box office. She's a failure. Mm. You know? And, and, and I would say that women probably get that a lot more. Oh, yeah. Than oh, men definitely. Do. Absolutely. They, you know, women 
can't aren't allowed to bounce back. Well, especially in two thousand and nine as well. Yeah, whereas you know, men have had chance after chance after chance within Hollywood. Yeah, you, you know, after uh, it, a box office bomb. And the things, and this is why I'm glad she's still working now because I mean, obviously, from this and Juno, she's a great writer, mm. and she she really does need to keep doing more stuff. I, I'd like to see some of her newer stuff. Um, so the plot for this film is a newly possessed high school cheerleader turns into a success, uh, success, a succubus who <laughs> specialises in killing her male classmates. Can her best friend put an end to the horror? So yeah. Yeah, interesting premise. We start with uh, Amanda Seyfried's character Needy receiving uh, more letters than Santa Claus, Zac Efron and Dr. Phil combined in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. And that's the thing, this film is very quotable. Like, I think this is also where the comparisons to Mean Girls come in. It it is sassy quote after sassy quote throughout the whole film. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got a a, a nice dark sense of humor. Yeah. To it because it is a comedy. It's not a horror. Not a pure horror film. It's a comedy, as well. She's wearing some great bunny slippers. She is. Yeah. Uh, the letters are telling her that she needs to accept Jesus. <laughs> Aren't they? Yes. Accept Jesus Christ. But it won't bring them back. Yeah. And then we see a pan in on a picture of a young man in a, a photo frame. So we're assuming he's dead from the yeah. get-go. Um, and uh, then we go to the canteen and she's not eating. And the doctor recommends some toastums. And she tells her she recommends that she shuts the fuck up and kicks her to the floor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's then thrown into isolation, and we hear an elevator song version of a song you're going to hear a lot of times in this film, Through the Trees by Low Shoulder. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to figure it out. Yeah. I, I thought it was like a joke. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to be some uh, shit song. Um, but yeah, that makes sense now. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and then we're told Devil... Then Needy's pretty much the narrator then throughout the rest of the film. And she tells us Devil Kettle is where it all went down. Um, and it's called Devil's Kettle because there's a, a waterfall there that goes down into a dark hole and nothing that goes down there ever comes out of anywhere. And uh, then we are given the first song on the soundtrack. Oh, no, before this, we're given Needy standing outside Jennifer's house watching her. Um, yeah, Jennifer looks like shit. She yeah. looks very rough. She's, she's got a Fallout Boy poster. She's yeah, she's got a Fallout Boy poster. Good job, Pete Wentz wasn't in the film. <laughs> um, yeah, she's looking pretty rough. She's just there watching infomercials on the TV. Some some big muscly guy with a, a ponytail. I think this is actually taken from Juno. The stuff on the TV. Yeah. Yeah, there's something. There's some connection between the two. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, and then we get the first bit of the soundtrack, um, which is. Uh, the Black Kids, were they called? The band? Oh, God, I'm not going to yeah. teach a boyfriend how to dance with you. That's a throwback. This, oh honestly, this, I... The thing is, and what I think what made me love this film even more when I first watched it was, at the time, this was the exact music I was listening to. And it still is. But um, it was very much what I was big into at the time. And, uh, yeah, it just made it even better for me. And it is a great soundtrack. There are some really, really great songs in this film. Um... We get some slow motion cheerleading from Jennifer and uh, yes. Needy's watching her. Yeah, it's explained that Jennifer didn't always look this rough. <laughs> yeah. She was a babe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Needy's told by a girl behind her that she's total lesbian gay 
from uh, the way she's staring at Jennifer. Yeah, this girl's horrible for her. Oh, yeah, she is really horrible. I didn't get her name down. Did you get her? No, just horrible girl. Yeah, she she really doesn't like her. No. Um, so, after this, Jennifer tells me that they're going to see Low Shoulder. Um, she's been checking out their MySpace and they're extra salty. Extra salty. I didn't understand what salty meant, but um, it apparently means beautiful. Yeah. Just salty. Um, I, I mean, MySpace. Come on, MySpace. Yes, this is definitely 2009. <laughs> yes, MySpace. Um, yeah, whilst this film is ahead of its time, the content is very 2009. <laughs> yeah, the characters are very 2009. Um, so, yeah, Needy's trying to find the right outfit to go out. Um, Jennifer's told her to wear something cute. Yeah. But what something cute means is wear an outfit that doesn't upstage Jennifer. So she's allowed to show some leg, but she's not allowed to show any boobs. No cleavage. Yeah. Because that's Jennifer's thing. Yeah, she uh, she knows Jennifer's arrived at her house. There's this sort of uh, weird telekinetic connection between the two throughout the film, isn't there? Yeah, so the whole idea is that we're establishing how close these two are. And they may be quite different in personality. Um, but as friends, they are very close. Yeah. You know, they see each other every day. There's a slight bit of psychic energy there where uh, Anita knows when Jennifer's turning up. Yeah. But then Jennifer is maybe not such a great friend in that she doesn't allow Anita to wear whatever the hell she likes. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that energy going on here. Uh so at this point, Needy's with her boyfriend Chip, and uh, Jennifer tells him it smells like Thai food and asks if they've been fucking. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they go to the bar, and Chris Pratt's there. Chris Pratt is there. <laughs> Chris Pratt back in his uh, non muscly days, should we say? Not yeah, he's, he's the one whose weight's fluctuated over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, he's pretty much a cameo. In this film, he's just in this scene. I don't think he was famous back then. No, he wasn't, no. This was pre-Parks and Recreation. Yeah, yeah, I think this must be a very early role for him. Yeah. Um, he's just there to uh, to flirt with Jennifer a bit and, uh, and mock the band with their eyeliner. Yeah, because I'm big-time faggos. Yeah. Yes, come on, 2009. Um, so, low, low shoulder are setting up their equipment and... Uh, Adam Brody is looking very Pete Wentz with his eyeliner. <laughs> very Pete. This is very 2009 indie rock band. I don't... I'd say... Well, yeah, they, they're an indie rock band, but they're dressed like a pop-punk band. Well, I'd... Um, do you remember... Oh, God. I don't think anyone's going to remember this band. Do you remember The Bravery? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, they are serving the bravery. They I take everything that I just the said. They are absolutely the bravery. Google the bravery. They, they had only... an honest mistake. Yeah. They only had about two hits back in the day. <laughs> two? Yeah. I think it was one. <laughs> I remember two songs. I may have remembered the same song twice. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, they were pure indie rock, eyeliner and Yeah. Nails painted. Yeah. Realness. <laughs> um, Jennifer introduces herself and flirts a bit and needy questions why they'd want to go and play Devil's Kettle. Yeah, um, just true. Adam Brody says they have to uh, go and play the uh, 
the shitholes around the world as well to appreciate the smaller fans. Um, but uh, Which isn't true, as we find out. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. not the reason they're in Devil's Kettle. So Jennifer goes to buy them drinks, says so she's going to go and play Hello Titty with the barmaid. And, um, no, no, it was, well, it was a barmaid. It was actually Diablo Cody. Oh, was it? Yeah, he plays oh. the barmaid. Um, Needy's playing on the pinball machine and she, uh, hears the band talking about Megan Fox. Yeah, so they say, what about her? And the uh, keyboard player? I think it's the bass player. Bass player. Because it's who? Jan Brady. <laughs> <laughs> because... And, <laughs> Amanda Seyfried is serving Jan Brady she realness. Is. She is in this Pure film. Jan Brady. She actually does really look a lot like Jan Brady. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but no, they mean Jennifer, and that she's totally a virgin because she acts too much like she's not. She's one of those girls that puts it all out there, but when it comes down to it, she doesn't, you know, deliver the goods. Yeah, and little does Needy know they're saying this because they need a virgin. Um, for their sacrifice so she runs over and is like hey, that's my best friend to talk about and actually she is a virgin thinking I'll put him off um, but <laughs> realistically yeah. it does the absolute opposite so as Jennifer comes back with the drinks her and Anita are talking Anita explains what's just happened and uh, Jennifer informs that uh, the, the audience that she's not even a backdoor virgin <laughs> thanks to Roman thanks to Chris Pratt Chris Pratt <laughs> And she had to sit on a bag of frozen peas the day after. <laughs> um, so the band start playing their one song, <laughs> Through the Trees. Yeah, they only play one song. They only have one song. do you think? Again, it's the bravery. <laughs> they are the bravery. They are the bravery. Um, so uh, at this point, this is when we see the first hint of the tension between Jennifer and Needy, when Jennifer holds her hand. Um, and it's just the way the camera pans and the way you see... Look, needed looking at her, you know, there's something there. Yeah, you know. And Jennifer's the one to let go of the hand. Yeah, yeah. Because she's fixated on this band yeah. playing, and um, Anita serves a bit of Sue Snell, don't she? She does. So we get in slow motion, very reminiscent of when Sue notices the rope in Carrie. Yeah, I it, it's, it's very much a cinematic parallel to Carrie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we see flames coming from the equipment on stage mm-hmm. and they, they rise, you know, in a, in a line up the curtain and above the band playing. Uh, Anita seems to be the only one that's noticed yeah. this. Uh, and we get it in a, in a you know... And quite a, a nice slow motion. Well, do you know, the one thing that's not mentioned a lot about this film is the cinematography. This yeah. is a very, very well-made film. Yeah. There are so many great, memorable shots in this film. Um, and it just adds to how underappreciated it is. But, um, yeah, so the fire starts. And uh, Jennifer and Needy manage to get out. Um they they go outside. The band managed to escape without a single mark on them. Um, the bar still blowing up in the background, and uh, Adam Brody gives Jennifer a drink and uh, takes her away into his van. Yeah, so I'm assuming that the whole fire is part of the band's plan. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so Anita's like, don't go in the van. And, um, uh, what's her name? Jennifer. Mm. <laughs> Film's named after her. Uh, and then Jennifer's like, no, 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 you know, don't be a, a sour purse. Yeah. 
and she gets in the van, leaving Anita stranded with the yeah. fire, still raging behind her. Yeah, you and you get this last look um, from the both of them. You get Jennifer in the van looking over at Anita, who's still by you know in front of the pub, and uh, that one shot is like you know that's the last time they're going to see each other like that, and it it really it comes back later on in the flashback, and it's it's just another really good shot. Yeah. So, Nina goes home, calls Chip, explains everything that's happened. Um, he asks if, he, if she got the make and model of the van. And she's like, I don't know, an 89 rapist. Um, the doorbell rings and uh, Jennifer is in her house now covered in blood. Eating a raw chicken. Yeah, so it looks like Jennifer's been quite violently attacked. Yeah. Uh, she's got blood all over her clothes and her face. And um, she doesn't speak a word. She goes into the kitchen, grabs a roast chicken, starts devouring it, but then spits it back out. Mm. And then throws up the Reese's chocolate. Yeah, Hershey's chocolate chocolate syrup. Yeah, from uh, (laughs) all over the floor. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then it it kind of, um, it's got like prickly bits on it. It looks like venom. Um, it, it, It looks, I mean... You know, the CGI is what it is. It's not as prominent in the film as it could have been. So I think this little bit of CGI works with the rest of the film. It doesn't look yeah. awful. Well, it's it's a dark scene, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's not well lit, so you can get away with, you know, a, a bit more CGI. Yeah, ne- Needy picks up the phone to call the police. Jennifer slams her against the wall, uh, asks her if she's scared, and then uh, she leaves the house. Yeah, so well, Jennifer goes to bite her, but then runs out yeah. before actually doing it. Um, so Jennifer's, you know, feeling those urges. Mm. So she's hungry, as you can see from what she did to the chicken. But it ain't chicken she's hungry for. Yeah. So the next day, uh, there's girls at school discussing that they thought, uh, that they've heard Jennifer and Needy fought their way out of a machete. <laughs> um, and they're having a little gossip about them. Um, Needy's just sat there staring in space and Jennifer arrives and she's uh, absolutely fine. She looks stunning. And she asks, what's wrong with you besides the obvious uh, surface gloss? <laughs> um, Have you said surface floors? Oh, floors. Floors. Maybe. maybe yeah. No, it's a rude comment. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, being ugly. And then the fantastic J.K. Simmons. <laughs> J.K. J.K. Simmons doesn't do much in this film, but he's really good at it. Yeah. Like, he is in every single thing he's ever been in. Yeah. He worked with Diablo Cody on Juno. Mm. Uh, and, of course, he was in the uh, original Spider-Man trilogy. Um, he was in Whiplash. He is fantastic in Whiplash. Well, he won the Oscar for Whiplash, didn't he? Yeah, he, he really is phenomenal in that film. But uh, he's great in this. He, he turns up, he's a teacher. and uh, He's the only teacher we see, isn't he? He's the only teacher we see. He delivers an emotional speech about the fire and everything. Jennifer's there trying to stop herself from laughing. Um, and then uh, Needy tells Chip about the night before. And we're introduced to Colin, who is played by uh, previous discussion on the podcast, Kyle Garner. Who was in Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Remake, yeah. yeah. Um, the difference is he's actually good in this film. Uh, he plays a, a, the most stereotypical goth character. Uh, he has a piercing, he has black eyeliner. Yeah, so he's he's the My Chemical Romance. Yeah, he's the emo. To Chip's Fallout Boy. Yeah. I, that's what I got from this. Yeah. 
And um, so Chip dresses in many scenes in a t-shirt with um, a sleeveless vest, <laughs> which was the height of fashion. <laughs> and uh, so then, uh, what's his name? The other one, the Colin. Other, Colin. He's got his uh, black hair. And a thousand wristbands. Red and red and blue, uh, red and blue, uh, red and black stripes that were all the rage back in the day. <laughs> Gender swap, Avril Lavigne. Gender swap. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he basically tells Needy he's glad that she didn't die. Chip gets a little jealous. And, uh, and then we're given a very fast moving. Evil Dead-esque shot on the football pitch to uh, Jonas, who's a football player, and uh, Jennifer's flirting with him. Yeah, so he's he's a big guy. He's on the football team, and uh, he's upset that his best friend died in the fire. Yeah. Um, Jennifer pretends he's, she's comforting him, explains that the, the dead friend, I can't remember his name, um, he said to her last night that her and uh, this football dude what's his name again Jonas Jonas would make a wonderful couple a banging couple a banging couple um, but they go out into the woods and they start making out uh, and then they have a load of animals start watching them and uh, she starts uh, giving him a hand job in the middle of the woods and uh, decides to eat him yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, essentially, essentially, not the best first date. Um, but he screams, and J.K. Simmons is getting into his car and says, "Let it all out, kiddo." <laughs> um, he then finds uh, Jonas's body with deers eating at it. Uh, with some with some really good practical effects here. Um, in this scene. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's in many pieces and this deer was yeah eating his insides for some reason yeah. I don't know if deers do that but uh, Low Shoulders playing on the radio the one song the one song <laughs> and they interviewed on the radio in this scene and they talk about how much of a tragedy it was and everything and they've been called heroes yeah haven't they they've been, um, people are saying that they helped people get out of the bar uh huh which isn't true uh, Needy's mum is introduced. Who is she played by? Uh, oh, Amy Sedaris. Yes. Who is a wonderful comic actress who always kind of pops up in these very small comedic roles yeah. in films. Uh, she's not in this film very much. No, she's all, basically she? just in this scene, I think. I think, it's just, I think it's just to establish that Anita does have... Mm. you know a parent yeah she says she has a night terror about needy being um, nailed to a tree like JC like JC <laughs> like JC um, and then uh, we go back to the uh, the parents of uh, of Jonas and uh, what I find really amusing in this scene is the fact that they are raging and shouting about how a man did this um, and the police officers even like, well, you know, we'll, we'll find the man who did this. And like, they don't even have any sort of suspicion that it's just a, a teenage girl. Yeah. And the whole, um, so the, the father of Jonas, um, his big thing, he's screaming to the world or whoever it is saying that he'll have their balls 
They'll rip the balls off and use them as door knockers. Like, like rich, rich people's <laughs> houses. Which I think just reiterates that point, you know, Jennifer doesn't have balls. She doesn't have <laughs> testicles. Yeah. So he's... They're all so adamant that it's this male cannibal killer that they don't wouldn't even fathom that Jennifer yeah. is actually the culprit. Even, even though, you know... Um, some of the signs are, are there that something's wrong with her. No mm. one ever fathoms that she's ever um, capable of such a thing. Yeah, and I think that's why the next scene works so great. Because the next scene is uh, the famous uh, Jennifer swimming in the lake scene. And she's just basically being carefree and swimming and, and not giving a shit about anything. Whilst this guy's out there shouting about this man who's just killed his son. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously... M- Many straight males not to that scene in a very different way. Which is not nothing. She's shown. not even yeah. She's nothing shown. Nothing shown um, in in any of this. I think we get a, you know a a slight bit more cleavage than we normally would when she was in the woods with Jonas. Yeah. But that's it. This isn't exploitative at all. No, no. Um, she calls up Needy after this and uh, tells her she's having the best day since Jesus invented the calendar. <laughs> Um, Chip interrupts their call said he needs to meet up with Needy and uh, Jennifer lights her tongue on fire with a lighter she does yeah doesn't feel any pain does she no she she makes a, a comment about Chip being cute which is the first hint of where things are going to go later on in the film um, Chip go uh, Chip and Needy meet up and they talk about Jonas um, and then we're given this shot a, a very amusing shot of uh, through the trees playing again uh, whilst the town's recovering from what happened, and then there's all these people singing it singing. at the site of the of the pub that burned down. Yeah, so uh, Anita explains that, that there's a tragedy boner for the town. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of press on it all, and uh, Low Shoulder uh, becoming a big success from this film. Uh, from this film. Uh, not from this film. I don't think Low Shoulder became a success. Probably a real film. band, but okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but from this tragedy, they're uh, becoming a big success. Yeah. Um, and this is also intercut with Jennifer walking through the school in slow motion, but she's wearing these really bright pink colours and the rest of the school is really bleak and almost black and white. Again, another great example of the cinematography in this film. It's brilliant. Really, really good. And it's never really addressed how Jennifer just couldn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, the people around must have noticed yeah. that she really couldn't give a shit about all this. Yeah. Uh, and and then we get a classroom scene where J.K. Simmons is back and he's uh, talking about low shoulder and how <laughs> they're giving 3% of their benefits from their single through the trees to uh, to the town. Yeah. And, and Nidia's female dish, like, what well, about another 97%, you know, this is ridiculous and she has a brand and then the same girl from earlier on in the film um who calls her a lesbian gay tells her that low shoulder are american heroes and doesn't it doesn't fathom the fact that anita was there and yeah and, and she completely refuses to believe her that they didn't yeah. do anything um she's wearing a low shoulder t-shirt and everything and then one of the funniest lines in the film it, this really cracks me up every time i hear it um Needy says she's so sick of uh, of of hearing that song, and Jennifer's like, "Yeah, it's really badly produced. You can hardly hear the bass in the mix." Yeah. <laughs> um, at this point, Jennifer looks like shit, um, and she asks Colin to go to her house that night. 
Yeah, so Je- um, Anita says that Jennifer's not looking great. And she says, oh, it must be wearing off. Mm. So that's the hint we get. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so Colin asks Jennifer out. Um, which is weird because I thought Colin had a thing for Anita. Yeah, yeah, it did come across that way. But I think it's the point that Jennifer could get anyone she wants. Yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, being the, a bad friend. Yeah. Really, because she'd had no, absolutely no interest in Colin before. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, obviously her intentions aren't to seduce him necessarily. No. Now, after this, um, it's cut quite fast in between um, Needy and Chip and Colin and Jennifer. Uh, at first, it's uh, we get to hear, I can see clearly now covered by Screeching Weasel, a band that has the uh, bass player of Less Than Jake as the lead singer. Oh, wow. Yeah, Screeching that's how, Weasel. That's how 2009 it is. It's very, it's very um, taking an old song, isn't it? Turn and it into a pop cover. Song, yeah. That, well, that pop punk was absolutely, you know, um, covered in it. What What's the word I want? There were lots of them. There were lots oh, of them. Oh, um... Ripe. Oh, ripe with no. There was, there was a series of albums. Yeah, I think it's like Pop Goes Punk or mm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so loads of these sort of songs uh, out at the time. Yeah, so and earlier really. It's uh, it's cut between um, Needy and Chip having really awkward first time sex. Is it the first time? I didn't. I didn't get the feeling it was the first no, I thought, time. I thought it was. I thought that was what they were getting at. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't. I didn't. I don't know. Um, and they were practicing safe sex. Yeah, it's it made to look really awkward either way. Yeah, it, it did come across a little awkward. Well, in fairness, because they're awkward characters. Yeah, they are awkward characters. So it's always going to be a little awkward. But I, I thought it was, what I got was that was. Um, like a, a tender moment between yeah. the two, a, a sweet moment. Yeah. Um, because they're both quite sweet characters, yeah. really, yeah. and you you put that against Jennifer, who is just out to seduce, and ult- let's be honest, ultimately devour her yeah. uh, her mate. I thought that was quite interesting. And, yeah, definitely. And they were practising safe sex as well. And there was, yeah. there was a big point made of that mm-hmm. too, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but as as they're getting it on, you get Colin arriving at this abandoned house that Jennifer sent him to. And they're playing I Wanna Love You by Akon. <laughs> no, I Wanna Fuck You by Akon. Well, yeah, the radio-friendly the, version. Not the radio... It wasn't the radio-friendly yeah, version. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. Was it not? Oh, no. I thought it was. No, no. Um, so, uh, <laughs> again, come on, 2009. Yeah, so he he pulls up to this street that's, like, completely dark, isn't it? Yeah. It, it looks abandoned. Gets into... Pulls up to the address he's given from Jennifer. Has to go through... Uh, plastic clad window like that you know that's got to get your back up from the get-go you're like okay she don't live here mm-hmm. um and then i want to fuck you's playing and there's candles out isn't there yeah so but you know he's not thinking with his brain necessarily no, this moment no. um 
So Jennifer meets him and then tells him that he gives her such a wetty at school. Um, <laughs> a wetty. They start they start kissing and uh, and then she goes all psycho on him. Starts to what what is it she does? She, he cuts his hand on um, something in the background. Yeah, so she she's getting a bit weird. Her eyes go weird. Yeah. And he's sort of backing up and cuts his hand on some sort of tool yeah. that's there because the the house is being renovated. It's an abandoned house that sort of, I think someone's doing up. Uh, cuts himself and that sets her off, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so she breaks his arm and then you whilst Needy's having sex, she has a vision of blood on the ceiling. And then she sees dead Jonas and demon Jennifer in the room with her. She's having another one of her telekinetic moments with Jennifer. Uh, and then she can actually see Jennifer eating Colin in the shadows. Um, which Chip thinks she's just having a really good time. Yeah, yeah. She she starts crying. He's like, "Wait, am I too big?" Yeah. Uh, and so she stops and gets out of there. Jennifer's drinking Colin's blood from his stomach. Um, Needy gets in the car, and uh, she turns on the uh, turns on the radio. Through the trees, is playing. She just screams at her car. <laughs> As she's driving away, she sees Jennifer in the middle of the road, who then jumps on top of the car. Uh, but Needy just drives off. And uh, when she gets home, Jennifer's in her bedroom. Um, yeah, this is a weird one, because Anita gets home. Um, she decides she doesn't need to switch the light on to get into bed yeah. at any point. Um, so she gets into bed, and Jennifer's in there. Yeah, she's like, I'll stop with the screaming, you're such a cliche. Yeah. And then this is when they have their... Their uh, make-out. Yeah, moment. yeah. So Jennifer's wearing Anita's Evil Dead t-shirt. Yeah. And uh, just just her knickers. Wonder on, Woman on knickers. Bottom. Wonder Woman <laughs> knickers. Um, I think Megan Fox would have made a great Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, definitely. I reckon she would have. Yeah, so then Jennifer kisses Anita. And we get a bit of up-close Yeah, that's proper action. It reminded me of the kiss from Cruel Intentions. Yeah. It's yeah. very, very much. I think maybe that was the reference by that. point. Yeah. Without that big trail of spit. Between yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then they, they sort of. Anita gets into it and they start making out properly. Yeah. Um, Anita realizes what's happening and she stops it. And um, that's when Jennifer explains what happened yeah. to her uh, with low shoulder. So this. This, I think, is Jennifer um, not being able to control her urges anymore. Yeah, yeah. So she initiated the kiss with Anita. Mm-hmm. We've always got the un- underlying thought that Anita is in love with yeah. Jennifer. It's more than just a friendship that she wants. Um, Anita gives in to that and then sort of stops herself. So it, it's... I think, the, for me, the whole film is about, you know, toxic relationships. Yeah, definitely. And this is part of that mm. as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. For me, it was just really comforting when I was younger seeing a scene like this in a big studio film. And, it, you know, for me, obviously, it was just... That, that was just playing out off as normal. Yeah. The two characters just kissing without a massive deal being made about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely, I do agree. It's about toxic relationships. Um, so yeah, this is when we get the backstory. This is when we get the scene we mentioned earlier on where we see Low Shoulder sacrificing Jennifer. 
um, for their fame ritual to become, as one of them says, rich and awesome, like the guy from Maroon 5. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, as I said earlier, you know, Megan Fox acting in this scene in particular is very, very good. Um, and low shoulder are just fucking irritating by this point. Let's put you just want to slap them, like just watching the film. Yeah, you are so smart. You're desperate for them to get their just desserts. Yeah. And um, spoiler alert, they do in the end. Yeah. But it isn't to the very end of the mm. film. And I, I do find it interesting that Jennifer never looks to seek revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, spoiler alert, we'll go over it at the end. Um, but this horrific thing that's happened mm. to her and yeah she knows it's them she knows hands, yeah she knows what they did she knows what they did it for the, you know they took something away from mm. her um used jennifer's body essentially yeah. to gain fame mm. and purely selfish she didn't give two shits about her yeah. Um, they were singing some shit song whilst they did it. Mm. I don't know what song it was. I can't remember. Um, Probably their song. Um, and she never once thinks to seek revenge. No, no. And I think, again, that says a lot about the film industry and the fact that this is before the Me Too movement. So this is when, thing, you know, when these, actress, these actresses were, you know, being used for the fame of these, you know, rich men mm. and couldn't do anything about it. They, they didn't have a voice back then. They, they didn't feel like they had a voice to speak out about it until the Me Too movement. So I think that that says a lot about that as well, that the fact that she didn't go and seek her revenge, she didn't do anything about it. She doesn't act like she's mad about it at all. No, no. She, she you know, she's perfectly happy for them to carry on. Yeah. The only thing she's got to say about them is the production values on their single. Yeah, yeah. When they've just, essentially taken her life from her you know unfortunately fortunately whichever way you want to look at it um she wasn't a virgin and she got to live beyond that yeah but as a kind of well as a devouring cannibalistic demon yeah which is we find that is because she lied about being a virgin yeah it went wrong and she lived and now this is the position but she's they in. still got what they want yeah so um needy throws her out of the room uh, she mentions chip again so needy throws her out and uh, then we get colin's funeral and we get all his goth friends talking about the dark angels of the realm and uh they're like it should have been me and his mum just delivers this great speech that starts where i'm pretty sure my, sh- my son wouldn't have liked being eaten by a fucking cannibal yeah, and so it looks like he looked like uh, lasagna with teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh, after this, uh, Needy starts researching into the succubus sacrifice and yeah. find out exactly what's gone on. Wearing a hideous hat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Lots of people part. wore these hats back then. <laughs> oh my God, it was disgusting. It was like a woolly... I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> um, post it on the on the. Uh, I'll see if I can find the picture. Post it somewhere for us for a reference um, point. So, we get needy telling Chip about what's happened with the sacrifice. She tells him that she's act- Jennifer's actually evil, not just high school evil. Um, Chip doesn't believe her, so they uh, temporarily break up. Yeah, and uh, and I I think this is a good great point. You know, Chip and Anita are in a relationship. Yeah. 
you know, they're in love, yet he doesn't believe her. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a little out there, a little far-fetched, mm-hmm. but he just completely dismisses it. Yeah. And all he cares about is that he bought her a corsage for the dance for $12. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting point as well. And it's a point in, in oh my God, so many, so many films where people aren't believed. Yeah. And I, I think it works in this, in this one. It in, does. In, on a different level because, you know, that's why a lot of women didn't come forward. It's because they didn't think people would believe them, you mm-hmm. know? Or yeah. they would be the ones that were made to look bad or to look crazy or liars or, you know, it would come back on them. Mm. And the fact that Anita has put her trust in Chip to tell him and he's like, oh, nah, that's not, that's not real, that's not yeah. true. You oh, know? definitely. So yeah. easily dismissed. But I bought you a corsage. Yeah. And we're given um, a song by Florence and the Machine, Kiss of a Fist, before they were big and famous. Yeah, this is the, their first single, yeah. but of Florence and the Machine. And, and I think it's quite a fitting song. It is, yeah. Um, about the relationship between Jennifer and Anita. Yeah, um, it plays whilst it's set up for the school dance. Uh, after this, Chip's mum gives him a pepper spray. And uh, we get new perspective by Panic at the Disco playing. <laughs> um, whilst they have their pre-dance pictures taken. And then uh, another banger, three bangers in a row. We get Death by White Lies playing. Yeah, yeah. So um, Anita is wearing this dress. Um, I don't know if it's ironically bad. I think it's ironically bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's oversized pink dress yeah it's a good visual it, it makes for some good visuals yeah um but it's a fucking ugly dress <laughs> um she looks like fucking glinda the good witch yeah on a budget so chips on his way to the dance and uh jennifer finds him and uh this is intercut with low shoulder playing at the school dance mm. <laughs> um jennifer tells chip that needy and colin had a thing going on they're really intimate and uh, and he believes her. Yeah, he, he believes her. Because, well, he had a suspicions, didn't he? Yeah. Earlier on in the film. So well, she's yeah. playing on that. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Jennifer kisses him. And uh, we get a really interesting parallel to earlier on in the film. So, you know, earlier on in the film, you had the bar scene. Low Shoulder were playing. Um, Jennifer and Needy were there together. They were holding hands. They were happy. Um... But now you've got low shoulder playing at the school dance. It's just needy on her own. Uh, and then with both scenes, she realises something's wrong whilst that song's playing in that moment. Um, and it's always Anita sensing yeah. what Jennifer's doing. Yeah. It's never the other way around. Yeah. So she leaves the dance, um, goes to Chip's house, and uh, she's told that Chip left for the dance way before she got there. And uh, <laughs> Chip's mum tells his little sister off. Tells her to sit like a lady. No one wants to see her kiki. <laughs> it's, it's this part of the... It's the same with Juno as well that just makes this film endlessly quotable. Yeah. It's these little funny, you know, quips that yeah. people have. 
Um, Jennifer takes Chip to an abandoned swimming pool, uh, and Chip doesn't want to continue anything with her, so uh, she throws him about for a bit in the pool. Needy finds him. Yeah, he comes to his senses very late. Yeah. Yeah, a little too late. So when Needy finds them, uh, Jennifer's actually eating Chip. She's biting on his neck. And uh, Needy goes to save him. And she sprays Jennifer with pepper spray. Yeah, so she jumps She jumps in the pool to uh, give it to that bitch. Yeah. Or something to that effect. And uh, they wrestle for a little bit. Chip gives the pepper spray to Anita and uh, Jennifer gets pepper sprayed. Yes, so she starts levitating and... Uh, Chip's like, she could fly now, and uh, Needy's like, she's just hovering, it's not that impressive. <laughs> and she calls she calls Jennifer a jerk, and Jennifer says, nice insult, Hannah Montana. Um, <laughs> Anita says that uh, Jennifer was always a bad friend. Yeah. And uh, it was always... And, and then that's what we got from, from the film itself. It, always, it was always a one-way friendship. Um, Jennifer to a certain degree was friends with Anita because Anita always made her feel better about herself because Jennifer was always the gorgeous one Jennifer was the cheerleader and Anita was there to support her and do what Jennifer wanted to do which is what Chip was trying to tell her at the beginning you know Chip isn't a bad character necessarily a a thoroughly bad character Um, he's flawed in, in some senses um, but he is trying to tell Anita, you know, this isn't a good friendship for you. Um, that is very clear by now in the film that he was right <laughs> all along. And I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm going a, li- a little out there, but maybe Anita was so Jan Brady mm. because... Jennifer was always kind of eating away at her anyway. Yeah. So Jennifer as a character was always devouring mm. before that point. Yeah, she I get was that. she was taken from Anita to make herself feel better. Because you don't talk to someone you don't say that somebody has obvious um surface flaws, mm. you know, without eating away at their confidence. Yeah. And um yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, no, definitely, I get that. Um, Jennifer tells her she's going to eat a soul and shit it out. And uh, Needy says, I thought you only uh, eat boys and said I go both ways. Yeah, to get what she wants. Yes. So Chip stabs Jennifer with a massive pole and she asks if if anyone's got a tampon and she escapes. That, 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 Chip stabbing Jennifer with a massive pole, uh, that's got to be some sort of uh, metaphor there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I reckon so. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to delve too deep into it. And even then, um, even when she's been stabbed with this massive pole, she's like to Needy, she's like, "Oh yeah, you seem like you're plugging. You've got a tampon." <laughs> yeah. she's even, she's even going Needy then. Um, so she escapes and Chip dies, and uh, then this is when we go back to where the film started. And Chip says before he dies that he should have believed. Yeah, her, yeah, he's, he's sorry, yeah. and uh, yeah, he should have. You should have, Chip. Yes. And uh, then we go back to the start of the film. Needy's standing outside Jennifer's house. And uh, Needy jumps through the window. <laughs> she, does, she does go commando on it, yeah. she? She jumps through the window. Jennifer bites her. Um, and then she uh, pulls out a Stanley blade and says, it's used for cutting boxes. 
And Jennifer says, I'm going, uh, no, where is it? Do you buy all your murder weapons for at Home Depot? God, you butch. <laughs> and so they levitate in the air. Needy's still on top of Jennifer. And uh, she rips a necklace, a BFF necklace from Jennifer's neck. And they uh, fall down as Needy stabs her, kills her. Yeah, so I think the symbolism of Anita ripping the BFF necklace yeah. from Jennifer's you know, yeah, and that's when neck, she starts falling. Which is when she starts yeah. falling. So it's taking the power away from Jennifer. Yeah. Um, and this is why I think ultimately the film is about toxic relationships, yeah. whether in friendships or, or you know, uh, romantic relationships. Um, I, I think it, it, it talks about both, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ripping away that BFF necklace is, you know, is telling Jennifer, I'm not giving you that power anymore. We're not friends. I think you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, fuck you. Yeah. And, and Jennifer's, then... you know, Jennifer was feeding off of Anita, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally through a lot of the film. And it's taking that away. And, and that hits Jennifer hard. Yeah. Harder than, yeah. you know, a slap to the face. Yeah. And I think that's the next line of dialogue, I think, really elevates that point as well. Mm. When she's like, oh, my tit. And she's like, no, your heart. Yeah. So yeah. she's stabbing her in the heart. Like she, you know, essentially she's been stabbing her in the heart the whole time and constantly bringing her down. Exactly. And and Jennifer, and Jennifer was always about um, face value. Yeah. You know, it was always about tits yeah it was never what was behind the tits mm-hmm. you yeah. know and tits was always jennifer's thing like from the beginning where mm-hmm. anita wasn't allowed to show any cleavage yeah because yeah. tits was always um jennifer's thing yeah well she not only got you in the heart but she got you in the tit yeah tits ain't yours now either you know and that's taking the power away from jennifer and this this is why I think it's Anita's film. It's not Jennifer's yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. Because and why the advertising was so awful because it was made to look like Jennifer was your protagonist. Mm. And uh you But know, that was it. Jennifer, Jennifer was, was just this character, that's all you were watching the film it, for. The film's about you... Jennifer in a sense mm. and about what happens to Jennifer, but it's really about how Anita deals with all yeah, of this. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, the poster I posted on our Instagram earlier today and Facebook and Twitter, I posted it because it's so different. And it, it's a poster where it's got Needy in the middle and then you've got Jennifer on the left, not sexualised or anything. I've, no. I, or it might be the other way around. Either way, they're both centre. Yeah. And then Adam Brody on the right. That's yeah. your three characters. Your antagonist, your protagonist, and then Jennifer who's in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting that a person like that existed because all the other ones are just Megan Fox sexualized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so after Jennifer is stabbed, Jennifer's mum finds him and uh, we're brought back to modern day. Needy is still in the uh, psychiatric hospital. Uh, she's got powers, we find out, because she was bitten by Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And she breaks out. Uh, she finds the sacrifice knife. Uh, that the band used on Jennifer. And... Uh... She does. So she finds... Because when they did to Jennifer what they did... Yeah. He threw the knife into Devil's Kettle. Mm-hmm. Um, for the knife to be, uh, you know, lost forever. Yeah. And 
um, Anita finds the knife, she finds where Devil's Kettle leads to. Yeah, yeah. You know, that there's balls there as well, which is what the, the scientists were testing with mm. earlier. So she's found an ending yeah. for it. So I, I don't know what that means <laughs> but it's, it's, it's I, I think, feel like it means I, 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 I think it could even be added in for humour that everyone's like oh this thing that leads nowhere and everything yeah. and she just finds it just like that she just finds even it trying. she's just like yeah here it is so um, then maybe maybe it's because everything has an answer everything has an end yeah. you know um, maybe that's the, the metaphor I'm not sure or it is just comic you know for comic effect yeah uh, she gets picked up she's Gets picked up by this car going by, and it's Lance Henriksen making a cameo appearance. Uh, he offers her a ride, and uh, she tells him she's following a, a rock band. He says, oh, it must be a special rock band. And then she was like, it's not going to be their last show. We get Violet playing by Hole, which I think is a good choice instead of actually using a Jennifer's Body song. I think that would have been a little more on the nose. Well, I think the, the lyrics resonate a little more, actually, yeah, yeah. than Jennifer's Body. Yeah. Um take everything mm. I'm trying to say it without singing it um, take everything you know that's said a lot in that song and yeah. you know they have taken you know it's it's a film about taking yeah essentially and I it always I always thought it was a perfect song to end that film on. I, during that moment that always stuck with me that scene um, and then as it ends really that should have been the end then we should have got a sequel Realistically, we should have got a sequel where it was needed going out for a revenge against that band. I think that would have been great. Instead, um, it's answered in the in the credits during the credits. It, they don't leave any unanswered questions in this no, film. No, and you had to, you had to have this moment. Yeah, I I genuinely feel like you had to have this moment where somebody gets revenge on the band. It should have been Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Really. Um, but it is Anita, but you know, it's Anita's revenge to have as well. Yeah. After what well, it they fucked did. up her life. It, it fucked, fucked up her life. life. If they hadn't done what they did, then, you know, she would have been you know, still a chip. Chip wouldn't have been dead. She wouldn't have been in a, a mental institute. Mm. You know, so th- th- for me, this had to happen. Yeah. This definitely had to happen. And uh, I, think, I think what they did was end the film making you think it weren't going to happen. Yeah. And, um, which sometimes in life, you know, people don't get their comeuppance, unfortunately. Um, we're seeing it now, which is great. Uh, but in 2009, maybe, maybe they weren't getting what they deserved in the end. Well, during the credits, we see a montage of them being all rich and famous and, you know, all the stereotypical rock star things in this big fancy hotel. Uh, and then... They're murdered, and it switches to uh, the low shoulder cover of uh, In the Flesh by Blondie, um, <laughs> whilst shown as their crime scene pictures. Yes. And uh, Needy is seen on CCTV fleeing the hotel. And then we're given ready for the floor by Hot Chip. <laughs> a cover, though. A cover a of cover, it, yeah. Like a slow cover. Lots of covers in this, in this film, but it works. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's Jennifer's body. And that's Jennifer's body. It um, is a Really, really great film. I mean, there's a good chance if you're listening to this podcast to listen to an LGBT horror podcast, there's a very good chance you've seen the film. Yeah. Um, 
if you haven't, then absolutely go out and watch it because even you know we're we're just explaining it. We can't do it justice, you know, scene for scene. You need to see the film to appreciate it. Yeah. So go watch it. it. It is really really good. Yeah, and for me, Jennifer's Body is a multi layered yeah horror comedy, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. Um, it's got so many layers to it, so much to invest in. Um, real fun characters and uh, real good dialogue, fun dialogue um, that was promoted as a sexy horror comedy with boobs and blood. Yeah. Which it wasn't. No, that's, that's absolutely right. I think it's also... Um, it has paved the way for a lot of horror comedies that you get nowadays as well um, on TV and in film mm. I mean you know you look at something like Screen Queens oh yeah it's the exact same type of humour um, you know it, there's plenty of films we've seen at Fright Fest that have clearly been yeah influenced by this yeah and Satanic Panic I know we weren't exactly fans of it but the director has said she was directly influenced by this film yeah to go out and make that so you know the fact that people are looking at it as an influence to go out and make these female focused horror films i think that's fantastic yeah yeah absolutely oh yes great film go and watch it um i don't know if it's on streaming services but it's obviously out on dvd and blu-ray uh next week i hope you enjoyed us talking about a good film because uh Next week, we are talking about a film that's not meant to be a very good film. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about The Haunting of Sharon Tate, starring Lizzie McGuire herself, oh, Hilary Duff. Poor Hilary Duff. She she was the one that was sane. The she one that didn't go off the rails. Didn't go off the rails. Now, uh, that's not to say, you know, she's gone off the rails, no. but um, this was not a well-received film. No, I believe it was Razzie winning or Razzie nominated, one of the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is meant to be dire. And very insensitive as well, apparently. So Really? Well, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. If you'd heard a plot of it, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, talk to us on social media. If you, you know, if you love Jennifer's Body, I know a lot of you do. Um, you know, let us know. It's... Uh, Horror Cool Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Cool Trash on Twitter. Uh, rate, review and subscribe if you're listening on iTunes. Like, follow on Epic House. I am Gazmo205 on Instagram. GazCruise92 on Twitter. And DeadLightGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker 823 on Letterboxd, Instagram and Twitter. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.